Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DeathStoreBroads.com comic book podcast. As always, I'm your host, The Dead Man Joe. Today, we have Birdie. Uh, uh, hi. No Nico this week. He's going off to the States to do something. Yeah, and you barely got me because it's Ash Wednesday in New Orleans, so the entire city feels like it's on a, it's coming down from a giant bender. Oh, right, yeah. Mardi Gras happened. Yeah. I was really confused by that. Like, I was driving down, I was driving somewhere, and the radio came on. I was like, well, and well, another well, another news in Mardi, like, fucking New Orleans at, during a Mardi Gras day parade. Somebody fucking ran over, like, 11 people with a car. And I was like, wait, it's Mardi Gras? And actually, it was 38 people. <laughs> oh, sorry, no, it was 11 in Canada. Ah, okay. Yeah, we're here. We got comics and stuff to talk about. I'm... Like, dying, I think. Like, more so than usual. Yeah, I thought you're dead. You should always be dying. No, I shouldn't ever be dying, because I'm already dead. When when somebody dies... So you're in a state of undeath, so you're constantly always dying. Not really, like, fucking... There are ghosts out there. They aren't constantly, like, going through hospice care. They're just fucking ghosts. Hanging out doing shit. Skeletons are never like, oh god, the whoa, whoa somebody put me in my misery. They're like, fuck it, I'm not gonna play my ribs like a goddamn whatever those things are called. Xylophone? What? You know those instruments where it's like the where it's like the metal plates where you just hit them with like sticks? Yeah, xylophone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're playing their ribs like that. They're not fucking moaning on about how, oh god, all of my fucking ulcers are killing me. Once you are dead, you no longer die. Okay. This has been Philosophy Advice with Dead Man. <laughs> anyway, comics and stuff. We have comics. Yes, I suspect we do. Bernie, what are some of your comics? Alright, well, I guess I'll get the thing that I don't have much to say about because it's just continuation of the same, and I know you've read it also, uh... So the new the Jim Walters Hulk book is still good, but I'm starting to get scared. Okay, how so? Well, um, so uh, the big sell of this book at this point has been that Jennifer Walters, who has been the member of the Hulk family, who's always been in control of her powers and really experiences no downside to using them lost control of her powers and is now afraid of turning into the Hulk. And she's also working a job where a woman who was relatively normal until recently got broken down by some tragic event and is now possibly talking to inhuman creatures. And they've kind of not done much with that conflict since the first issue. Like, we're three issues in, and the only interesting thing that's happened outside of the fact that the the uh, landlord of one of the of the client was squished by something is that one of the one of Jim's closest friends showed up and said, "Hey, why'd you blow me off for lunch?" Yeah, Patsy Walker, Hellcat. Yeah. Which honestly, 
It's, I'm not so sure if this is a good sign or not that I was honestly more distracted by the person in the background who, while they were talking, kept saying, no, I shouldn't take a picture. That's her. I'm taking a picture. Yeah, it it was trying to be a really big emotional scene of like these characters who have this huge history together and it's falling apart because one of them is going through this horrible emotional shit. And so having somebody in the background trying to decide whether or not to fangirl out really distracted from that. Yeah. And what scares me is that um, uh, I'm scared that the writer doesn't want to just is not sure what to do when Jen hulks out because this is uh, the more you build up to something, the more you risk disappointment. And if she doesn't hulk out soon, I'm afraid that like they're just going to either drag this out or. They're just going to keep looking for reasons for her to get close to hulking out, but not. Yeah. And I, they've been saying for the la- in the in the uh, promotional material for the last issue or two, in the next upcoming few, that oh, she's going about to hulk out. You don't know what's going to happen. Oh, oh she's, she's about, to, about to get it. Will her fucking close down? Oh, we don't know. It's Hulk man. Yeah, and I think honestly, Ooh. yeah. Too many stories that have a concept like that at its core wait too long to do that, and when honestly a lot of more interesting stuff happens after that, you've played that card because if you just keep building up like that's the big trick. Eventually, people are just going, "Okay, so what else you got?" And they're going to be like, "Um, we didn't think that far ahead." So. Going forward, like based on everything that I based on everything that I've seen, based on everything that has been shown in the comic, I'm getting the feeling that when she eventually does Hulk out, it's not gonna be what we're expecting it to be. No, I, I okay. Here's one. It's either gonna be like they've been showing promotions. It's either gonna be a Hulk that's closer to like her cousin's Hulk, which I. I guess would be the cliche easy answer, but I don't know if they're going to do that or not. Or some people suggested it could be something like the Gray Hulk, where it's an alter, it's a somewhat alternate personality from just a rage monster, and it's like a lot more vindictive and mean for the sake of protecting the person who hulked out. But uh, I don't know. But neither option is all that appealing to me. But it's actually I, it's actually Joe Fixit. She's going to Hulk out and then start talking like a 1920s gangster from Chicago. You know, it's funny. The only time that that was ever entertaining is when that happened in Madripoor and Wolverine just started using the Hulk as an enforcer. (laughs) Oh, that's... I I find it kind of more inherently funny with, like, She-Hulk doing it. Because, like, with the Hulk, yeah, it's just, hey, yeah, hey, what if Walter was from the fucking Bronx? Whatever. Fuck it. But, but now I'm just imagining, like, She-Hulk still looking like She-Hulk, just in a suit talking like that. Like, not even, like, a fucking pants suit. Like, I'm talking, I'm talking about, like, a full-on, like, actual suit. It barely fits her because it is proportioned for, you know, male Hulk. 
But she just fucking walks up with the fedora, the hat, the hair done up the same way. And just goes, hey, what the fuck's happening to you? Yeah, that would be pretty funny. Although given it's not the direction they're going at all, because yeah, no, it would be a fucking book, hard yeah, left yeah. that would kill this book. Yeah, that 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 steps into Deadpool territory, honestly. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit. It would not be surprised if there was like a fucking it was like the Deadpool team up book, and he teams up with fucking Lady Joe Fixit. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of whatever that Deadpool book was, where uh, he teamed up with Dazzler to kill vampires. <laughs> I think that was just called Deadpool Team Up. I couldn't remember what it, what the exact series was, but like D- Dazzler was using a her light powers plus a disco dance routine to kill vampires. You know, like you do. Yeah. So I I guess I'm just the, with this storyline. There are things I would be more interested in seeing than just when she halts out. Yeah. Like, that's just kind of like an initial early step that they have to get to, because I would rather get to stuff like, I think at some point it would make sense if she is forced to talk with Hawkeye. Yeah, that that would be... Yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Or Carol tries to do her I'm not a, I'm not a villain thing and says, look, she, Jen, we're worried about you. You haven't talked since I accidentally ordered someone to kill your cousin. You did what? Um... Uh, what? It'd be great if that's what gets her to Hulk out. Just Carol just shows up and then Jen just fucking hulks out and kills her. And then that was the end of Captain Marvel. Just fucking the last issue of the mighty Captain Marvel is her funeral. Killed for being a bitch. Well, yeah, I mean, she's been a really big bitch. I, I wasn't disagreeing. I was just, it's one of those kind of ironic tomb tombstones where it's sort of like, uh, if you went to Gwen Stacy's tomb at this point, it's like, we want her to stay dead. We really do. <laughs> uh, you, you just go to her tombstone. You see the four other Gwen Stacy graves. Just, and here's one for her clone. And here's one for her second clone. And here's one for her from another dimension. And here's one for her from house of M. And there's just an open, oh, yeah. and there's just an open grave. They just like there's like you know the next Gwen. That's just like there's a, like there's a piece of paper duct taped to the side of the tombstone that's just blank. Yeah, it's, yeah. We know we're gonna, we're not we're gonna have one. We just we didn't want to get too presumptuous presumptuous about it, so we're kind of leaving it blank for now. Yeah. So I just I. I want them to get over this initial hurdle of what will happen when she hulks out, because I think, honestly, the story will be more interesting once they get past that. So I just don't want them to drag their feet too much longer on this. I'm still enjoying it, but it it needs to move along a little. <laughs> yeah. So then I guess moving on to my first book. Uh, this is also one that doesn't really have, I don't really have much to say about. The Commandi Challenge. Is this to see who can fu- challenge to see who can fuck their mother and mother in virtual reality? No, uh, the challenge part of the title is meaningless. There is no challenge. It is just Kamandi. So it's just bullshit marketing thing. Yes, pretty much. Okay. 
so the commodity challenge is an updated retelling of commodity. The Jack so, Kirby so, Planet so, of the Apes ripoff. So it's just what, what would have that writing room have been like? Like, uh, sir, I think people have seen Planet of the Apes recently. Nonsense. That movie's decades old. Uh, sir, there was a reboot a few years ago. Shut up. And what do you know about reboots? Come, we need to reboot this property. Next, you're going to tell me that the writer for this book is Tim Burton. <laughs> oh, no, actually, it's Peter J. Tomasi. Oh, okay. Well, that's a decent writer. Yeah. And that, that tone in your voice sounds like you're saying, why is he wasting his time with this? <laughs> it kind of is, because it's fucking Kamandi. <sighs> like yes like, like yes okay Jack Kirby he made a lot of amazing shit Kamandi yeah. is not part of said shit well it is it is part of shit he made it's just is that one of those things where like um, because Kirby created him they keep him around basically kind of like how um they kept the Fantastic Four as they were and did nothing to update them just because it was a Jack Kirby, Stan Lee creation from the golden period of Marvel. Basically, that, that's that's all this seems to be. <laughs> so... Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I'm not saying you can't do anything with the classic Fantastic Four book. I'm actually... I've found, apparently, the one writer who can make me like Reed Richards. And... That shocked me, but <laughs> I can talk about that when I've read a little bit more of it. But it, it's Mark Wade, and yeah. So getting into the interior of the book, it is all the art's drawn by Neil Adams, which is a bit of a shame because all the covers are drawn by Kenneth Rockefort. That's a bit jarring. A little bit. So on the covers, we get this fucking just gorgeous-ass art. Which, if this was the actual style of the book, I would be way more into it. Okay. Then get, but then we get into the book itself, and it is just off. Like, all the animal people, for the most part, they can look pretty all right. Because there's enough of a disconnect between... Because there's enough of a disconnect as to what animal people should look like that it's hard to really fuck that up. They still manage to, though. They still manage to get just a lot of weird fucking faces on these people. Who's drawing the interiors again? Neil Adams. Okay. I think I remember what that looks like, but it's like, oh, what? Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 It is. Yeah, that's one of those, okay, either make it look like the outside or make it all the title. I mean, I'm not saying you couldn't make Neil Adams' art style work despite the over-expressiveness of the faces. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really would have preferred if Kenneth Rockefort did all of it. Oh, really hell yeah, would've. dude. <laughs> and it's really unfortunate because it's all, all, like the art, is, the art also comes across as particularly lazy. At times. Okay. Like, like I have a hard time, like, there's a panel in the second issue where I'm having a hard time figuring out exactly what's happening. 
because it lo- one of those. because it looks like there is like a wolf lady who is like ice skating away from Kamandi as she accidentally throws her five year old out of a fucking stroller she was carrying, and he and the kid just like. Ugh. It, the kid almost looks like he jumped out of it himself. But I think what they were going for is that she threw him out because she got knocked. And the well, background and the backgrounds, like half of them aren't even backgrounds. They're just colors. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, isn't it always a bad sign when the cover looks a whole lot better than the interior of the book? Yep, but it's a thing that seems to keep happening. Well, yeah. Well, I know why it keeps happening. It's called bait and switch. <laughs> it's like, oh man, this cover's amazing. Then we get to the inside. What the fuck happened? Did fucking Rockford have a stroke? Yeah. You see, I've actually managed to avoid mostly that kind of thing because uh, since I buy a lot of my comics on Comicsology, they let you see the first three pages as an interior, so I don't get fooled by the covers. And I would assume that most people who would buy comics would at least look at the first a couple of interior pages before they buy it, but apparently not. <laughs> yeah, I look at the artist's name, and if I recognize it, I'm like, oh, okay. If I don't, I'd be like, eh, okay. Like writer, like, writer usually draws me to a book more than artist does. Yeah, no, I understand that. But there's sometimes an artist and writer don't mix well. <laughs> yeah, I, I've gathered... Like, I mean, or also you've had instances of hating a writer take on really good art at Civil War II. <laughs> so, Kamandi. <laughs> Sorry. For those who don't know, was a creation of the late, great Jack Kirby. One of the kind of one of the founding fathers of American comics. Yeah, or at least modern American comics. Yeah. And he and Kamandi was, like I said, just kind of Planet of the Apes. It was yeah. a young human it was a human person uh stuck in a world of animal people. I had not read any of I had not read any previous Kamandi stuff. My main experience with Kamandi was that one issue he showed up in in Grant Morrison's multiverse, like multiversity. I honestly didn't know uh, Kamandi was a thing until well, I'd never read any of the comics. I learned Kamandi was a thing because of Batman: Brave and the Bold. Yeah, the, the first the first time I really the first time I ever like found out about Kamandi was actually through Linkara with his with his uh, countdown review. Yeah, well, that's what that's the first time I've seen any of the comics he'd done. But yeah, <laughs> and yeah. So this it goes harder into the Planet of the Planet Apes of the side Apes. of things. Yeah, of course. Because <clears throat> why would you take something that's rooted in something that's a little dated and just find a way to update him? So, Kamandi is in like this virtual reality thing, like going to school, li- living his life, whatever. Uh, he, in the virtual reality thing, uh, Jack Kirby and the other person who helped create Kamandi are like characters there who just kind of hang out and help out, like help kind of, it's basically, it's basically a Truman show for Kamandi. Then it gets fucked up. He wakes up and he is in a city of animal people r- ruled by tiger people. 
and humans are kept as like pets and slaves or whatever, or they are thrown into the or they're thrown to the fighting pits in order to face off against giant mutant monstrosities. Kamandi miraculously survives because he is a smirt man. And he can talk, and everybody's like, what? A man can talk? That's crazy. <sighs> like, there's almost a Dr. Zaya scene where, like, where, where, like, the, a dog person named Canis takes him to the king, and so he starts talking, it's like, eh, fucking whatever. You weird creature. Some kind of mutant. And, the, and then the king just pulls out a fucking nuke and says, hey, we're going to summon the gods with this. Turns out the nuke was actually a Trojan horse full of gorilla people with machine guns. Sure. So Kamandi goes to escape and finds the Mobius chair. You know that thing? Uh, And then he teleports to the ruins of San Diego with Canis the dog man and Prince Tiger person. Turns out San Diego is some kind of like wild human reserve or something that's being guarded over by the Manhunters. Sure. <laughs> this is a 12 issue miniseries, and I'm not going any further than issue two. Fair enough. That all happened in the first two issues, and it is. Like, it's not poorly written or anything. It's just you can only go so far when you are trying to be this loyal to the original premise. Yeah. Like, they're not trying to update or anything. Like, like reading, reading the book, it felt wholly like something from the 1950s or 60s. Even though it didn't look it. Like, Neil Adams. <laughs> say what you will about any of his, any of his aesthetic. It's not something that would feel in. It's not something that would feel right alongside other Silver Age stuff. He's not one of the All Reds. Yeah, sure. But somehow, with just the way that he like structures panels or something, it felt like I was reading something from that era of comics. It might have to do with the writing. It might have to do with like coloring or whatever. But just for whatever reason, reading this, it felt. Like, it felt like that. It felt like somebody trying to, like, trace over and update an old comic. Fair enough. That's not a good thing, though, because I feel like the original comics this is based on weren't very good to begin with. No, I mean, from what Again, I think, from in what the I annals of Jack Kirby, Commandy is very low on the totem pole. Yeah. Because, like... I mean, you've got the new gods, you've got everything he did with Asgard and Thor, all the stuff he did, of course, but well, I guess the X-Men weren't good until long after Kirby stopped writing and drawing them, but, uh... But so he made... That, the, he made the X-Men, but he didn't make them good, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, from what I know about Kamandi, it's just... It's not a bad concept, but if you just stick to what the concept was when it was first written, it's going to come off as really dated. Yeah. <laughs> as it is, it is incredibly dated. But fucking 
Tomasi is one of the few straight up great writers that fucking DC has yet to DC has yet to fucking chase off. It's going to be sad if they actually do something to make Rucka leave. Yeah, probably. I feel I feel like they're I feel like they only need to lose like one or two more writers or artists before everybody of note just fucking bails. Yeah, not even goes to Marvel at this point. They just go to Image. Yeah, like they can maybe they can maybe like tempt one or two people back with Vertigo, but yeah, I'm actually just imagining now if like young animal just breaks off, takes all the characters, just fucking runs. That would young- be hilarious, and not as un not that uncommon in today's market, honestly. Yeah, just all of a sudden they start like. Like instead of instead of having the Doom Patrol, it's the Doom Squad led by Robot Guy. So the negative spirits, the negative ghost. Just change it enough so that they don't get sued, but keep keep going with the same characters. Ah, oh, that'd be stupid. And probably pretty great. Just like Gerard Way and Warren Ellis join their powers and then the wild and then fucking Wildstorm and Young Animal become their own independent labels. Yet somehow retain the rights to those characters. Yeah. And since Warren Ellis is not Todd McFarlane, it wouldn't just turn into a marketing hype. Oh, no. Uh, We'll be talking about Warren Ellis a bit later in the show. All right. Anyway, yeah, so that's Commandy. Don't read it. (laughs) Read Super Sons, which I'll be talking about a bit, bit, but that's also a Tomasi book. That is way better. So anyway, I'm sure. Bertie. All right. Well, since we're since you're talking about dated things, um, I read uh, Valerian and the city of, and the city of drowned buildings. Okay. Okay. So I don't know if you've probably seen trailers for this, but Luke Besson is adapting a movie later this year called Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets, which, as far as I can... It's an adaptation of this comic, but it's an adaptation... The title is a merging of the first two collections, The Empire of a Thousand Planets and City of of Drowned Buildings. Uh Uh-huh. So, I was just curious, and it's one of the... Because it's like a 60s French sci-fi thing, I was maybe like find something interesting here. There's interesting stuff visually, but this book is very dated. <laughs> it sounds like and, it. Yeah, because uh, so Valerian is some hotshot young space cadet, and Loreline is his partner. And I don't know if they're going to go with this, if there's certain continuities that do, but um, they actually made an anime out of this a couple of years ago. And uh, in that version, uh, Valerian was a douchebag and pulled Loreline out of the 15th century. 
and because of that, Earth no longer exists. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which to me sounds more like something out of Hitchhiker's Guide than um, Star Trek, but I don't know if they would go that direction. I don't know how crazy Luke Basson is. But the basic premise is you, just... You've seen a Luke Basson movie, right? Yeah. That motherfucker is... I mean, I know he's visually crazy. I'm not sure how narratively crazy he's willing to go. I'm going to assume pretty crazy. <laughs> I feel like that's a safe assumption. Maybe. Given that he wrote The Fifth Element. True. And he's actually writing the screenplay for this adaptation. He's just taking from the books. So, uh... Yeah, that'll probably that might be crazy given that this has such a pretty diverse set of really crazy colorful ideas. The art's a little dated considering this is from the early the mid sixties, but it's not bad art. Not even kinda like how if you look at the best of like Kirby art or any other artist from this period, it's good, it's just you can tell when it was made. Yeah. And parts of it the, the dated parts elements to me are more just sort of tone. Because this kind of looks like it would have been a comic strip in newspapers in the 60s. Which would have been really weird because there's some dark shit that happens in some of these books that they talk about. Like how basically the first book is a result of global warming causing constant uncontrollable thunderstorms and tornadoes and hurricanes to where the planet is just drowned. So a little... A little tone deaf there, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it was easier to to laugh that off as ridiculous in the 60s. Yeah, maybe. It was like, <laughs> uh, anything. It's funny that any, it's funny to think that anything we do would have an effect on our fucking planet. <laughs> now, if you excuse me, I'm going to go smoke this cheeseburger. <laughs> and then but be yeah, racist. I don't know. It's the 60s. Yeah, but the characters look like anything out that you would see in a newspaper. Or uh, I don't know if you ever saw this, uh, this French comic Asterix and Obelix. I've heard of Asterix and Obelix. Okay. A little less cartoony than that, but along the same trajectory. Which, again, is weird because, the, again, this is hard sci-fi with crazy, sometimes dark ideas. So it's like you combine 60s Star Trek with uh, the Black Mirror. (laughs) Uh, So which one of these characters has to have sex with a pig? (laughs) Yeah, and so maybe if they go for something along the lines of, have you read Hitchhiker's Guide? Uh, no. Yeah. I don't really read real books. Because I kind of can't anymore. Yeah. Well, the hit, the, if they go for something along the same tone as Hitchhiker's Guide, but with Luke Besson's penchant for crazy, insane visuals and narrative ideas, that might be a fun movie. This book, you'll probably get, you might get some fun visual stuff out of it, but the writing style and the overall execution is very dated. Okay, then. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to my second book, uh, Sam and Twitch. Ah, uh, 
one of the t- is, is this a recent salmon twitch book or is this one of the ones from when spawn was just becoming big uh this is the classic salmon twitch book i'm pretty sure the only salmon twitch book okay so i think there was like a mini series after this called like case files or something yeah i think i actually remember that yeah so salmon twitch is a spin-off of <laughs> spin-off from spawn uh with two cops from that book Samuel Burke and Maximilian Williams III. Who, from what I remember of Spawn, which is not much, were possibly one of the more fun parts of that book. Yeah, so they were... They were incredibly popular characters in that book. Uh, they got their own spin-off book, just called Sam and Twitch, uh, that was written by, I believe, Brian Michael Bendis. That lasted for... 26 books. Also for 26 issues, I think. Yeah, 26 issue run over the course of four years. You know, they're... That's the kind of book this is. And it is all about cops. Like, Spawn shows up once in this book and in that, and in that issue. And, like, in, the, in that scene where he shows up, Sandwich both tell him to fuck off. And so this is this book is about these two cops, the only non-corrupt cops in their entire precinct, apparently, as they try to solve murders in an increasingly comic booky world. Like the first nine issues are about. So the first nine issues involve them investigating the murder of a bunch of Italian mobsters, where at the crime scene, four four thumbs were found that all came from the same person. And so they are, and so so Sam and Twitch they are investigating this, and it turns out that it is involved with the South African mob that have been using genetically engineered human bioweapons as their hitmen. That's not nineties at all. No, it is not. And at the same time, they have also bought out the entire precinct, almost the entire police force, with the exception of Sam and Twitch. Well, of course, they're the main characters. Yeah, so everybody in the, so everybody they work with is fucking on the take. And then meanwhile, the, there's also the fucking FBI getting involved that are, that is pretending to be internal affairs investigating these two because you know, of course they are since they're the since they're the only not corrupt ones, they are under investigation for corruption. Well, sure. That oh, that it's the it's the Trump rule. I'm not corrupt, you're corrupt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah this book is really good but it's well, also sure kind of weird well yeah I mean here's the thing from what I remember Sam and Twitch was one of those books from the 90s that sort of did the dark and gritty thing but and Core has been kind of opening my head to this concept more and more It's there's a difference between mature between mature content and mature storytelling. Yeah. And I think Sam and Twitch was one of the more examples of more mature storytelling related to Spawn, whereas a lot of it was just mature content. Yeah, I can see that. Which is also why um, 
that Uber 90 shit you're talking about sometimes gets a little distracting. Like, I've been rewatching Gargoyles recently, <laughs> and it's weird how much some of that feels like young blood. <sighs> like, I know it's just the time when it was made, but it's like, what the hell? It's weird that there are parts of this that are more dated than other parts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one, so, so when I say weird, I don't mean weird in the sense of content. I mean weird in the sense of formatting. See, there aren't speech bubbles. Instead, it is like a line leading to text, and then the font changes depending on the character. But only sometimes. Like, uh, like Sam, his dialogue is a bit more of a bold font, uh, while Twitch's is is a bit more like condensed, not really that pronounced, and kind of a bit thinner. So, like having so having, so having those two have a conversation, uh, it's a they're able to kind of differentiate between those two, those two characters speaking fairly well. But then, basically, every other character has the same font as Sam does. And since there aren't really speech bubbles, it can it can get kind of hard to figure out who's talking in any in a given scene. And also sometimes hard to read the dialogue on the backgrounds because again, with there being no speech bubbles, unless unless you're going to have the text fucking switch color to like switch colors from letter to letter, which they don't do. You got to kind of you got to pull a John Wick yeah, they got Yeah, they got to choose uh, whether it's going to be. Um, they got. They choose. They choose whether the, whether the text is in black or in white. Those are the only two colors it's in, and there is no mixing and matching okay. in a given sentence. So, so, so there'll be a point where they're talking in where they're talking in daytime, and some of the font is on a building, so they make it white. But then it also goes over into the sky, which is also kind of white. And they don't really do a proper drop shadow on it, so it doesn't really stand out as much. So it so so it'll take like a second for it to actually register what it says. And the art itself is also really weird, where where some of the characters get like really bulbous and are able to have like a lot of like real expressive personalities to them. And then Twitch, I have a hard time figuring out where his face ends and his neck begins because with Twitch, his head is basically a triangle. With a ridiculous haircut on it, like for, for, for like for fucking half the first issue, I didn't know if Twitch had a mustache. Oh, that's unfortunate because even from what I remember, I know Twitch has a very distinct mustache, and that all in that you could always see him sort of sneering at uh, like Sam always hated when, when Twitch was smarter than him and sneered at him over his mustache and I always found the, the looks on that kind of fun so that's that sounds like an art fail uh, you can get used to it but it is still just every once in a while something will happen some there will be some look that just is kind of off like in the second issue, there is a point where a woman runs screaming out of a club, and she looks like a monkey. It looks it looks like a fucking chimpanzee in a fancy dress is running screaming at our main characters. 
or Sam will be like eating out of the side of his face because that's the way they drew his mouth and nose. Okay. And yeah, also a lot of panels. There, there, there are a few points in the uh, Udaku storyline where, where like Sam and Twitch are going on, are kind of a split up to do their different things. Like Sam is out there hitting the streets, talking to people, and Twitch is going through the data he has, checking out the internet and stuff. And it'll be like a two page, it'll be a two page spread. And across the two pages, there are about sixteen panels on the bottom that are all the exact same, which is Twitch looking at a computer monitor. Like Sam's up at the, Sam's up at like the top fucking three quarters of the page doing whatever, talking to some fucker on the street, like getting a hot dog or something, and then just twitch like a computer, twitch like a computer, twitch like a computer, twitch like something else, twitch like a computer. And what's weird is even with all of that, I still actually like the art and aesthetic of this book. It's a very distinct style that kind of helps it helps get this book uh like more personality than it already had because i really like the personality of this book like sam and twitch i think are really great really great as a pair it's not anything fucking special or unique about it it is you have one guy who is big loud likes to get into fights isn't that smart but is able to fucking get shit done and has a real drive behind him the other guy is more soft-spoken skinnier and the smart one okay that's not fucking groundbreaking in the world of fucking buddy no, cops. No, but no, it I is. Didn't, I never said it was. I just thought I'd like. In, I don't know. I felt like they maybe on their own they don't work as well in just a book about them. But I always felt like, particularly in Spawn, I needed them to downplay some of the ridiculousness of the shit that was happening in that book. Yeah, but like it, it also works here too. Like. Okay. Like I, like, I think these guys work really well together. They have a good rapport with each other. They're able to have, like, real respect for one another. Or, and you can kind of, and, like, you kind of get the feeling that neither of them could do this without the other. Like, like Twitch, like, Twitch is the one who ends up, like, making all the deductive leaps and kind of, like, solving the cases. But he only really does that because Sam is there, like, helping push him along. I feel like if Sam wasn't there, he wouldn't really be a cop. And then with Sam, he needs Twitch to actually solve things. Sure. But the two of them are like always have each other's back. They're able to fucking go down swing at any time. Like there is a, th- this book comes along after a good chunk of time in the spawn book. And in the spawn book, the two of them actually quit the police force because it was too corrupt to start their own PI agency. Mm-hmm. And then that went under so fucking hard that uh, Twitch's wife left him with and took the kids with her. And then they end up coming back because the fucking commissioner is like, hey, I need cops who aren't dirty, so please come back. And they do go right back to solving fucking horrible murders and shit. Uh, I am a couple issues into the second arc, which is about witches being murdered. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, like, because, you know, it's spawn, witchcraft and shit, whatever. But yeah, the art style has started to kind of like find more of an actual it's it's still the same style, but I feel like it is getting a bit easier to understand what's happening. 
either I'm getting used to it or the artist is getting better. Let me just double check who the artist actually is on this. So I'm getting the making sure I'm getting the name right. And I'm giving correct credit to whoever. And the reader that I'm using is kind of fucked and not launching. Okay, there we go. Uh, okay, so getting into the second arc of things, which is... It's a different artist who isn't as good, but he's managed to keep the same style, kind of. Uh, it's Alberto Ponticelli? Ponticelli, Ponticelli, I would think. Okay, Ponticelli. Uh, with the initial storyline done by um, Angel Medina. Yeah, if you get a chance, uh, I would really recommend Sam and Twitch. It is a it is a really fun book with with, with some good characters and just a really good police story. Uh huh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's all available in like trade or whatever. So yeah, check it out. Sam and Twitch. It is really good. It's the best thing to come out of Spawn since that fucking Miracle Man debacle at Marvel. So, Birdie. Alright. Um, uh, you know, sometimes you shouldn't go back and read a book when, that you thought was okay when you were younger because you might realize you didn't, you actually didn't like anything about it anymore. Uh, I really don't like Mark Millar's The Ultimates. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what book you're gonna say. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I was, I know, I was like a young teenager when the Ultimate Universe was getting started, and of course, I, I liked Bendis' Ultimate Spider-Man even before it switched to Miles Morales. Yeah. So I read this book, kind of to get a sense of the Ultimate Universe's take on Ultimate on uh, the Ultimate characters and. It was violent. It was it, the, this going back to what I was saying earlier: mature content versus mature writing. Do you think this A on my forehead stands for France? Uh, <laughs> do you like this book? Uh, Ultimates? Not really. Yeah, like I, I, I think it, I think it started out like kind of all right, and then degraded into Malarisms. I'm not even sure it started off okay because it's got the it's got the problem that Malar has since gotten himself out of to where with one or two exceptions all he knows how to write are assholes and people that the assholes shit on. Like I think that was probably the thing that made me really dislike this book is that the entire first arc of uh, the entire Ultimates arc is about shitting all over Bruce Banner. So keep in mind that I read this once, like six years ago. Okay, so should I re- re- renew some plot points for you? Yeah, like some of the things that I remember was um, Ultimates three, okay. just all of that. Okay, is that that's the thing? I I. I only know about later Ultimates books because they tend to come up as some of the worst comics of the medium from that period. 
Yeah, there was there was but, that there was that point where Shield was being turned into vampires, and then Captain America was a vampire for a bit, but then he healed himself from being a vampire. Yeah. Oh, uh, that was also where they introduced Daredevil into like introduced a different Daredevil or the same da- the yellow Daredevil. Yeah. So um the the first ultimate book picks up with Nick with Samuel Jackson, I mean Nick Fury, um putting together a team of people to create a a government funded government run uh publicity seeking superhero team. He's here uh, talking about the Avengers initiative. I'm not even sure they call it that. I think it's just some... I can't remember the term for it. No, actually, the Avengers in the Ultimate Universe are a Black Ops hit squad. Sure. Of course. Yeah, yeah, that's how Spider-Man died. The Ultimates found out about the Avengers, and they were both being manipulated by Tony Stark's evil brother into into, into thinking each team had betrayed them. And so, so Punisher was like, "Hey, I'm going to shoot Captain America, who's about to fucking take in Nick Fury because oh, he's evil." And it's like, "Oh, I'll just kneecap him." And then Spider-Man dives in, and takes a bullet to the kidney, and then everyone's like, "Oh my god, he was killed by Norman Osborn." Yeah, sure, whatever. And but, he's um, also immortal, but not anymore because that universe was destroyed. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so yeah, um, Banner was working for Fury on how to recreate the super soldier serum. Oh, right. There was also the first Hulk. He had something. Yeah. There's some version of the Hulk that came out of him at first. No, no, I mean, I mean the guy who came up with the Hulk stuff before Bruce Banner did. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's this old ass black man who can turn into a giant ass black man. Who's part of the Avengers. Okay. I, I'm, I remember him being black. I don't... He might not be. I'm not sure. I forget a lot of things. Yeah, sure. Whatever. I, I don't really care. I... Because this book just... Okay, so I'm just going to rush through this as much as I can. There's a couple of different super soldier things going on. There's Hank Pym and his giant formula, which Janet Van Dyne is helping him with, all also acting as a... They play up the publicity-seeking party girl thing to such an extent that it's a little irritating. Uh-huh. And the only likable thing she seems to do in this is to tell this version of Hank Pym to go fuck himself and wants to fuck Captain America, who I think is the only character in this book that Mar- Millar even remotely writes as not a Millar douchebag. <laughs> because... Th- like I, I know that the whole Hank Pym assaulting Janet Van Dyne and being kind of abusive to her thing was not intentional. It was an accident of writer and artist not connecting. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, Millar is like, you know what? I'm going to run with that and have her, when she shrinks away from me, hitting her in the face with a, with a, with a broken glass bottle, I'm going to summon a group of ants to try to eat her. Yeah, they... Yep, yep, I remember that. I remember that scene. Yeah, and uh, Bruce is estranged from his wife, Betty, because uh, she thinks he's uh, a terribly wormy 
nerdish type person who everyone makes fun of by saying, you know what, he should be played by Steve Buscemi if they ever made a movie about the Hulk. Yeah. Yeah. And she's only attracted to him once he turns into the Hulk and she discovers the savage, masculine nature of his character and that he was that devoted to her even to the point of killing 300 people. And the hottest thing for her is when she when he tells her about how disgusted he was that he remembers eating a man's intestines. Yeah, just sploosh. I guess. Yeah. I don't fucking know. No, I, 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 I'm glad Millar is out of this period and his career. Like, I know there were some books from this period that people like, but a lot of them just... I know you're going to be upset. That, well, I know you know why I'm going to say this, but I'm, I'm. thank God Man of Steel made him change his ways. Because, <laughs> <sighs> yeah, yeah. Well, there's some books from this period that are good. A lot of them have not aged particularly well. And this is by far the most dated Mark Millar book I've read from this period, I think. Like, Old Man Logan is not this dated. The Kick-Ass is not this dated. Like, it keeps making George Bush references. Betty is cheating on Bruce while, by dating Freddie Prinze Jr. Uh, hey, what are you talking about of, dated? Freddie Prinze Jr. has a very well-established voice acting career now. Yeah, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and... I think the only characters that come kind of... Cl- I, I, I know people kind of borrowed some ideas about how Hawkeye and Black Widow are from this version of the characters, but, like, some of that, I'm not even sure, is this version of the character. Some of it is just, oh, we took the updated versions of these characters from where they originally were at the beginnings of the books and just made them how they are at, after decades. So... I really can't count that towards the ultimate universe. Like Black Widow is basically just the Black Widow most people are familiar with at this point. She's an agent who works for whoever, Black Ops. Yep. Hawkeye's kind of the same. They make him, he's not, I'm glad he's not as crazy in the movies as he is in this because that's the thing that always kind of annoyed me about this because it just felt out of place. Yeah, Ultimate Hawkeye is like a super murderer. Yeah. There's a point where he kills, like, five people over got his fingernails and throwing them at him. Yeah. And he's sort of... Considering this book came out in the 2000s, he sort of feels like... I don't, do you remember the Tick episode where they made fun of the Punisher and Tick was like, you need massive psychological help, son? Not really, but... I, I, didn't, spend, I, didn't, I didn't spend a lot of time watching the Tick as a kid because we didn't get it here in Canada. Hmm. Okay. You're lost. But, oh, I'm uh, aware. I am aware. <laughs> I yeah, saw like five episodes of The Tick before they replaced it with some other bullshit. Yeah. And this is the part that really never made sense to me. And like I think they've since removed it from later Ultimate Universe books. That Thor is not an actual Norse god. He's just a, psych- a schizophrenic guy with a, sp- with a hammer that can manipulate the space-time continuum. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they eventually made it so that he is straight up Thor. 
Yeah, and like I know that because they showed up in Ultimatum, which is yeah. a terrible book, but at least that was not trying to do the, oh, we're going to do the Norse mythology thing, but say you're stupid for liking Norse mythology in a comic book thing. That That's a very Mark, Mark Millar in this period response. And kind of glad it's dying out. Yeah. It's died out. Yeah, it is a fish. It is dead. It has been dead for a while. Yeah. So I will rather read books like, uh, I, I mean, I've, what is the, what's the one where you re- where you die and are reincarnated in a war world? Is that reborn? Yeah, yeah, reborn. Yeah, I mean that book's batshit insane, but at least it, Millar seems to have figured out how to write likable characters. <laughs> or you can just read Huck like nine times in a row. Look, I really like Huck, but I'm not <laughs> as addicted to it as you are. <laughs> I'm not addicted. I read it. I read it. Then I bought it and read it again. Then I haven't read it since. Um, to quote you from a week or two before the Huck came out. God damn it! Need a fix. Need a Huck yeah. fix. Yeah, because oh. that book was fucking coming out. Now it's done, and I've gotten my fix, and I am good. Five minutes later, I need my Huck fix. Yeah, just the middle of this. Yes, here. <laughs> Sorry about that. I just took some Huck, uh, kind of scratched it up, melted it down, and snorted it. <sighs> so, yeah, Got that um, gas station attendant running through my veins. I feel like I need to take out somebody's garbage. So, yeah, aside from Ultimate Spider-Man stuff, is there anything else left over from the Ultimate Universe that you would say people should go back to at this point? Because I know, remember the first two Ultimates books were one of the big things people liked. I never liked Ultimate X-Men because it either kept the characters the same or made other characters bigger douchebags. Thinking back on it, the only Ultimate things I can fully recommend are Ultimate Spider-Man and Ultimate Enemy, which is heavily featuring Ultimate Spider-Man. Yep. Like, uh, and I've, I've made this note before that for some reason, whenever Marvel experiments with other alternate universes, it's always because they have a new Spider-Man book they want to do, and that most of the time, the Spider-Man book is the only one that stands the test of time, even remotely. It's because Spider-Man is their character. He is the face of the company. So, in order to test any waters... They throw all their efforts behind the Spider-Man book. And if that does well, then they slap together every other book. Yep, that sounds about right. So, yeah, I'm, really, um, I'm really looking forward to the Spider-Man book where it's in an alternate universe where his company, has, where his fucking Parker Industries has fucking collapsed and shit itself to death. And now he's just being regular Spider-Man again. Because it's not going to be happening in the mainline books because they're idiots. Yeah, or um, Dan Slott will never allow it. You you know what company buys out Parker Industries? Deadpool Incorporated. (laughs) Yeah, after a severe slump, Deadpool, the fucking DPI, (laughs) has this fucking insane resurgence where like Deadpool becomes like a fucking collector's item. I was like, hey, so I have billions of dollars now, uh, so fuck you, so fuck you, Peter Parker. I tried to kill you once because I was hired, but now I just don't like you, so. Well, of course he doesn't like him. He he, he, he thinks Peter Parker keeps him away from his boy Spider-Man. 
Yeah, I'm going to fucking repossess your ant's robotic hip. So yeah, uh, my ultimate, my final thoughts on the Ultimates is read Ultimate Spider-Man. You can kind of leave the rest of the Ultimate Universe behind. We got everything we needed out of it with Nick Fury as, with, with Sam Jackson as Nick Fury and some ideas on how to do the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But other than that, this can just be left in the, in the dustbin of time. Yep. So moving on. Warren Ellis. So it was announced a little while back that Wildstorm would be making a comeback from DC Comics with Warren Ellis leading the charge. And that charge has begun with The Wildstorm, issue one. Which serves just a big old smorgasbord of fucking Wildstorm characters. In the first issue, we get... I'm going to try to remember them all. I don't have a lot of history with Wildstorm. Like, my history with Wildstorm is pretty much Gen 13, and that's it. Yeah, I'm familiar with some of the other Wildstorm characters, but most of the... Most of my connection with them, unfortunately, is them trying to integrate them into the new 52 DC universe, which I think, for the most part, failed spectacularly. Yeah. So, we have Deathblow, Lord Emp, Michael Craven, Engineer, Void, Voodoo... And I think one or two others. And they're all in this book. That will also at some point include Grifter. Right, Grifter. I remember his New 52 book lasting a little longer than some of the others. But again, DC killed it too. Yeah, like of the... Was Grifter part of the first or second wave of New 52? I think he was part of the first. Yeah, it was him and Voodoo. Yeah, Voodoo I remember just because I thought the concept was interesting. They just didn't do anything with it. Yeah, so it starts out with Zealot, a character from Wildcats, uh, reporting into some kind of government agency while leaving a horribly gruesome murder scene that she might have caused. And she goes off and then Voodoo shows up, who's a part of a band, I think, and is trying to set up a fucking, like, take down the man anti-establishment rock show or something. Sure. Yeah, and so then we have Craven, the head of IO, this fucking weird organization thing that's trying to murder a man because, yeah, uh, this book is really, this book's kind of hard for me to talk about because there's just a lot of shit happening. Sounds like it. But the thing is, I actually kind of like it. Okay. Like, well, like, like yes, there, like, like, there, there's a lot of shit happening, but it is all pretty interesting shit. 
Well, from what I've heard about the Wildstorm characters, that doesn't seem that surprising to me, honestly. Yeah. Like, uh, Engineer, uh, in, in the book, she just kind of, she's just called Angela Spica. Uh, she works for IO. And there's a point where she comes up to Craven, the guy who runs IO, and is like, hey, I need to talk to you about this shit. I need just, like, just a bit more funding for this. And she is just bleeding out of her stomach. It's like, no, I'm fucking fine. We're going to be doing this shit. And then, and then like, uh, he says, hey, I'm not giving you any more funding. Just please, we'll talk about this in the office. I can't talk about it here in front of my buddy at a coffee shop. So she begins heading back to the office when she sees a man being flung out of the, out of like the 50th floor window of an office building. And she's looking around. I was like, hey, is anybody, are we, anybody doing anything? Like, nobody's calling the cops or anything. They all have their phones out fucking filming it. She then says, like, main engine activate, and then she turns into a robot person. Flies up, grabs him, and then just fucking saves him and flies away. At which point he calls the security and says, hey, this guy from IO just tried to fucking murder me. And we see what happened where he, where, like, the guy who I thrown out of the window had this weird, like, alien tech stinger laser thing in his wrist. He just flicks out. And then Michael Cray, who is death blow, you know, that classic image character, death blow. He like reaches out and actually, please tell me he doesn't have a fake mask with like one eye missing. Nope. He's just a guy. He just, he's just a big guy. Okay. Yeah. So he, so he has like the ability to, like destroy alien tech by touching it or something. That's this, is all, this, this is all set up. This is this, this is all, this is basically all set up. Yeah, like the voodoo, like like the voodoo thing doesn't matter. The only reason it matters is because voodoo is involved. Okay. Like she shows up and says, "Hey, Halo, fuck that person who is a person from old Wildstorm." And then Craven is like, hey, is that voodoo? Huh, weird. Anyway, plot. And yes, this is all just this is all just set up. This is all set up for what will be coming from Wildstorm. And it's not terrible setup. Like it's all well written. Uh the art is really great. It is a uh, John Davis Hunt on art. And all of the people, like all, all the human faces, all like the like the background stuff, it is all really well done. A lot of detail and a lot of personality in it. And like like with the humans, it is all actually fairly simple designs. Like everybody looks distinct, but they're not like they don't have like an insane amount of detail to them. And then when we get fucking engineer going full robot, it is you can you see like fucking individual fucking wire strands of hair. You can see all the fucking joints working. You can see the different layers of plate armor built into her fucking insane robot bird body. And yeah, it all just works, man. It all fucking works great. Sounds like it. Like I I like the design of a lot of the characters. Um if I knew more about Wildstorm, I feel like I have an easy I feel like I'd have an easier time talking about this. Yeah, well, unfortunately, Wildstorm hasn't really been a thing since, like, the late 90s. <laughs> yeah, so if I knew more about Wildstorm, I feel like I'd be able to have a chance to talk about this more, because 
one of the reasons I have one of the reasons I find it kind of hard to talk about is because I know minor things about Wildstorm that was largely like I largely learned because I looked it up after reading this book. So me trying okay. to talk about so me trying to talk about this with any kind of authority would just come across as completely flat and fake because I am no authority on Wildstorm. Like I said, my experience is Gen 13 and that time Midnighter tried to fuck Nightwing. Because apparently he and Apollo broke up. Which that just feels like a slap in the face. Like, fucking those two were... Those two were kind of the gay superhero couple for a while. Okay. But then DC's like, oh, you're a Batman surrogate. That means you can never be happy. Fuck you. Yeah, even without even without like any real knowledge about Wildstorm, I did really enjoy this book. It is yes, it is all set up, but it is set up with interesting characters, with interesting ideas, and with just some really fucking fantastic artwork from Mister Davis Hunt. <laughs> like like this, this is pretty much the exact opposite of problems I had with fucking Commandi. Where everybody is the right amount of expressive, there are really well done backgrounds. Nobody's face freaks the fuck out. That's always nice. Yeah, it's all just really well done art with interesting looking characters that have that seem to have like interesting ideas going forward. And I am really looking forward to seeing where this is going. Okay. So the Wildstorm. If you want, check it out. It's pretty good. All right. Well, uh, God, this went faster than I thought it would. <laughs> yeah, it turns out without Nico here, me and him can't really go off on tangents for half an hour. Yeah. Well, um, I am currently reading a couple of books, but I guess what's weird is now that you're done with it, I apparently keep going back and reading Civil War II tie-ins. <laughs> what's wrong with you? Well, this one was for a character I like. And was what you and uh, Nico were saying was one of the good ones. I I read the Spider Woman too, the Spider Woman tie-in. What do you think? Carol's a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like she somehow seemed shocked that someone could be angry at her and not just move past it by saying, "I know I'm right." Oh, no, that's one of the fucking worst parts of all of this, is that she thinks she did nothing wrong. Um. Like, hell, even with, even the original Civil War, fucking, like, yes, in the tie-ins, it was, like, it was all fucking, like, it was all, like, horrible shit of, oh, yeah, well, I'm the worst person ever, but fuck you. At least in, like, the main book, Tony Stark realized he did stuff wrong. He admitted he made mistakes. In this, Carol's just like, fucking, start to finish. I am the best at everything. I am right. Fuck everybody who disagrees with me. Yeah. Fuck, she was proven wrong. And she still would not admit she made mistakes. Yeah, that was the weirdest part for me. Like, I actually, I, because I was curious about the uh, France, the art, uh, I looked at the last issue of the original Civil War, of, not the original Civil War, of Civil War Two. 
And I, I think one of the last lines of the book that just kind of gets brushed past is when she said uh, like he saw a possible future. Which, yeah. th- doesn't that one line just contradict her whole argument? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, that's, that's fucking Tony Stark's whole argument is that, is that like nobody can see the future. He is, he is like doing best guesswork right now. He's taking in the same amount of information and giving out what his best guess of what the future will be. And there's a point where she is actually proven wrong. Fucking Ulysses has a vision of a lady bombing an office with a fucking brief, with a fucking suitcase bomb. A snook, if you will. So they arrest the lady. Look at the briefcase. There's nothing in there. So they take her and question her for like fucking three days where she's like, I don't know what the fuck you people are talking about. I just want to go home. And Carol's like, no, fuck you. She's lying. And she wasn't. Oh, God. Fuck Carol. Jesus Christ. (sighs) And the fact that she's doing this shit to her friends who are good people with good books that make them look like good characters. That's what makes it all worse. Yeah. If she and was doing this, if she, if she was doing this shit to fucking red wolf, no one would care. Yeah. But because she's doing it to goddamn Jen, Jen and Jessica, we just, yeah. everyone just hates her that much more. Yeah. Cause like, and Oh, also, you fucking bitch. These two are great characters. What are you doing? And also this is a, a tie in. I don't know what to do with because, uh, I learned that for some reason, as I recall, America Chavez was not particularly happy about the shit happening in Civil War II, I don't think. I do not remember her. I do not remember enough of her appearances in Civil War II to really register whether she had an opinion or not. Okay. I could be wrong about that. I, I'll have to wait till Nico gets back because I know he read that part of the book. But, um, yeah, it's just. I. I, I really the only part of uh, uh, Jessica Drew's Spider Woman book that I have not read up to this point was the shit with the Spider Women story arc because I was just like I don't care. <laughs> yeah, any storyline where Silk is a central character, just skip. <laughs> yeah, she is but, the worst. Like it seemed like there was an interesting way to kind of redeem uh, Carol's stupidity with that story. The way the way Jessica Drew was approaching it, but no, no. Apparently, she she's just stupid. <laughs> yup, she is the worst. Yeah, I just I don't know what they were thinking with this. And Carol's I, the kind of person who would nuke a country and expect it, a fucking medal for it. Yeah, well, no, it's it's yeah, well, it's particularly weird. In the context of the Spider Woman book, because in the first arc, which was one of my favorite recent comic books from Marvel, they had that whole story arc of Carol constantly going, "Oh shit, I'm sorry. Oh shit, I'm sorry. Oh shit, I'm sorry. I that I got you put into a hostage situation on an alien on an alien hospital," and then you jump from that to Jessica, "I'm right, you're wrong. Let's hug this out." Yeah, it's the weirdest fucking thing. This whole ar- this whole Civil War two thing. Has just butt fucked Carol so hard. Yeah. I really want to know where it comes from. I want to know, like, what Bendis' thought process was where he thought, oh, I know, I'll take this, like, well liked, much beloved character who is shown to be, like, relatively smart and pragmatic about things, but also be, like, relatively emotional and being able to, like, register her own mistakes. 
Remove all of that and then make her just this super bitch who's always right. Yeah, and it's weird because now they the, the individual writers have no idea whether to embrace that I am a super bitch who hates everyone thing or in the case of her own book, I, I'm just trying to help people. Like, I don't know why everyone's mad at me and hates me. I was just doing the right thing. Yeah, I mean, it was a great plan. It was a huge undertaking that nobody knew it would be this big. So yeah, I mean, I I like that again. She is the she is the best at pre she is the best at precognitive judgment justice. Nobody's better at it than her. She is the best. Yeah. Fuck you, Trump. Is what I'm getting at with all this. I'm in Canada. What are you gonna do? You fucking bizarre, fucking caramel coated bigot shit. <sighs> Come at me, yeah, fuck face. Probably end up fucking droning a bunch of cows, piece of shit. I can so, say yeah. that because I'm in Canada. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I never thought I would say my favorite issue of a arc in Spider Woman was the issue where Porcupine was at the beach fighting Sandman. That was great, dude. That was like, oh god, that was so good. Yeah, so... Oh, man, Jessica's, still, Jessica's so great. Fucking Roger's the best. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for them to release the trade of the third one where Roger's trying to get himself out of the shit with Hobgoblin because that will be a fun read when I read it in its entirety. I just... He I shaved. I so need Marvel to find a way to purge this because nothing Turns out it was all Mephisto. You know what? Given the fact that they still have not undone uh, one more day, I honestly wouldn't care if that happened at this point because it's just—it's getting ridiculous that this big arc has had almost no impact of any worth on anything. And dude, it's super weird because they've been referencing that more and more lately. They—they're referencing Mephisto one, or one more day. Yeah. Like like in like in Spider Man Deadpool, Spider Man met Mephisto, who then talked about one more day, and Spider-Man didn't remember it happening. And then in and then in Daredevil, we're getting the backstory of how he managed to erase everybody's memory of him being Daredevil. And one of the things was, he went to go see Damon Hellstrom, or whatever the fuck his name is. Uh, yeah, the, the son of Satan. Yeah, and he says, hey, can I like make a deal with your dad or something? And he's like, he's like, yeah, well, Mephisto, like, he made a deal like that once before. It didn't turn out that well for him, so I don't think he's going to be down for that. Referencing the time where he erased everybody's memory of Spider-Man being Peter Parker for their marriage. Yeah. Jesus Christ. The more I think about that fucking story. So yeah, um, it, w- it would have been absolutely great if the second that happened, like Peter Parker wakes up and then is, and then fucking Amy just has a heart attack. If I was writing that, if I was writing that story, that's what I would have done. 
just oh no aunt may's dying and nobody even and nobody even with the fucking powers of the amazing ability to fucking split my consciousness across all of reality can heal a bullet wound i better sell my marriage to satan oh no she died of a coronary what am i gonna do and that kids is why i don't write comics Yeah, so <laughs> uh, I I just want Civil War Two to go away. I want because I, I still love Carol Danvers, but like she's basically been she's been Iron Man Civil War II, Civil Ward. She's been Iron Man from the Civil War. Two, so I uh, and maybe once her movie comes out, Marvel will realize this was a stupid decision. But considering they just keep doing the epic of crossover thing every three months. I'm not sure they'll ever be able to fix this without just, I don't know. Just a fucking revolt. Is G Willow Wilson leads a rebellion against Axel Alonso and the rest of editorial. Yes. The inhumans are shit except for mine. All right. So, right. So every human's going to die except for Miss Marvel and Lockjaw. Those two will have a fucking buddy book like Turner Hooch and it'll be amazing. <sighs> Anywho. Yeah, uh, you can mostly skip the Civil War II trade for Spider-Woman unless you really... Although I can almost say the only thing, reason it's worth reading is to watch Porcupine beat Sandman. Yeah. Roger's the best. So anyway, Super Sons. Of all the Rebirth books that were announced, this was the one I was looking the most forward to. And I can see why. And then they delayed it. Until 2017. Uh, Yeah. But now it is 2017. And it's here. And it's pretty great. So was it worth the delays? Uh, yeah, I'd say so. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, so uh, it is written by Peter J. DeMossi, like the other good, like the other good Superman things. Uh, art by uh, Jorge Jimenez, which is. He gets it. He gets these characters. He gets this tone it needs to go for. And yeah, also like, and also Tomasi is still fucking keeping it going of like, yeah, he is. He knows, he knows how to write these characters well. Yep. So it's, and it's, it's kind of weird because there are two in media's res beginnings. All right. So it starts out with uh, with a kid uh, like sitting with his family, hanging out, watching TV or whatever, and he has just complete control over them. Like he's sitting, like he's sitting next to kids, like, "Hey, can I have some of your popcorn?" And he's like, "No, you already finished yours." And then he's, and then he gives him a look. He's like, oh, "Okay, just have the whole thing." And he just starts screaming demands at them, and it turns out they're on a TV set. A la that one episode of fucking Batman the Animated Series with the child actor who's actually like 40. 
Oh, baby doll. Yeah. Uh, then we have uh, Damien and John uh, running through the woods, fighting robotic versions of themselves. And then it's two days earlier. Okay. And yeah, it starts out just uh, John dealing with some bullies. About to use his, like, the bullies are just being horrible dicks to a buddy of his. Uh, they put, they, like, start a snowball fight, and then the bullies put rocks in their snowball and fucking chuck them at their heads. And John's like, oh, I'm gonna fuck these dudes up. Oh, no, wait, I'm not, actually not gonna do that, because I'm not a fucking horrible person. I, I, I'm, I'm not, uh, the Man of Steel, son of Superman. Yeah. I'm not Damien, who disguised himself as a bus driver. <laughs> To spy of on him. Of course he did. Yeah, just hanging out. He was also there, he was also being there. He was also um, disguising himself as their homeroom teacher. Uh, and then the two of them decide to go off and start investigating a series of robberies at LexCorp facilities. Because you know it, you know they got to go out there doing superhero shit while their dads are. Saying no, don't do that. And then as they're breaking into a LexCorp building, fucking Lex Luthor, who I forgot was pretending to be Superman this time, just kind of shows up. Yeah, it's, so he still has the, the Superman He armor. still has the super suit. He's still out there with the S on his chest. He is still pretending this is not just an editorial mandate. Yeah, the book's really good. Uh, it's a bit of a right. slow. It's a bit of a slow start in terms of actually getting a plot going, but it still is. It still is just these good characters interacting with each other and the world they live in, and that is all. It's all being still written really well by a writer who understands what makes these characters likable, and is just right. doing a fucking still doing a great job with it. My favorite part of it is actually the point when uh, when John is about to go fucking full super person on these guys because it is it's him being a kid. It is him. It is it is, it is giving the child the powers of a god and a dad who is basically a saint. Yeah, which is one of the which is one of the good things about John as a character in that he is. Like like with um with Clark, we don't we don't really get to see a lot of his childhood, specifically like this age range, when he is when he would be pretty impulsive and just kind of doing whatever. Like like one of the issues of uh, American Alien that I think was my favorite one of my favorite ones was the point where he was this age and he fucking destroys his school bathroom. So. So actually seeing this is kind of a weird mirror to that because with that with that it was it was a Superman Clark trying to trying to work out his emotions of realizing that he is not human and lashing out any way he can and then having his dad just kind of like talk some sense into him like hey don't be a dickbag about this but with and with this we see that we see shades that we see something kind of similar 
to this in John, but instead of being like, oh, I'm kind of alone in this, he knows what he is. He knows where he comes from, and so he's able to kind of internalize it and work through his issues a bit more without having to lash out using his powers. It is a, it is an interesting thing going forward with these guys that I really like. Damien is still being a little dickbag, and I still kind of like him for it. Yeah, well, I mean, because in most DC gets that he's a dickbag and keeps surrounding him with characters that will call him out on being a dickbag or like a la the Son of Batman movie will beat the shit out of him for being a dickbag. Uh-huh. Like, because, like, they, he always seems to get his comeuppance every time he acts like a super dick. So, I'm okay with how they've portrayed him, even though he is a dickbag. Yeah, like, like in this, uh, like, in this, he is, like, he's, like, like doing training stuff, and then Batman's like, hey, I'm gonna go out and fucking do my investigating shit. And then Davey starts to do, was like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm going out with you. No, you're not. You have fucking homework to do, you little shit. You have little shitberg. And Alfred is just sitting there sassing him. Yeah, oh, well, that was... I don't know how if you remember this, but one of my favorite lines from uh, Son of Batman was uh, when Damien was calling uh, Alfred out on his uh, dry British way. It's like, careful, Pennyworth. I'm not so young that I don't recognize sarcasm. Well, Master Damien, I am too old to care. <laughs> oh, God. Alfred's like the best grandpa. Just is like if you like when you need him, he'll be there for you. But if you just but if you just like sass him, he will just get it right back at you because you don't give a fuck anymore. Ah. Anyway, yeah, I this book was this book was pretty worth the wait. Like like the first issue, like I said, it is slow. It doesn't really get into what what the book's going to be, but it. You get enough of these characters being these characters that you, you get enough of these characters being these characters and being these characters with each other that you can see. You know this book's gonna be good. Yeah. And Jorge Jimenez and Jorge Jimenez, uh, while no Patrick Gleason is still a really good artist who is able to get a real personality through with this book without it without it feeling like just trying to be Gleason. Yeah. Super Sons. It's really good. Read it. If you don't, then you are if you don't, then you are part of the problem. How dare you support the bad Superman books or movies? Yeah, fucking action comics. What the fuck is that shit? Yeah, actually now that I think about it, from what I've seen, the action comics version still feels like they're try- they're still too tethered to the new fifty two version of Superman. Yeah, apparently. The Clark Kent in that book might actually just be the New 52 super version of Superman. Uh, or it could be Magog. But a more important question there, Dead Man, is does anybody care? No. <laughs> My point is Why would they? <laughs> Anywho. That's what we're reading then. We have a piece of news that kind of ties into my comments earlier about the current United States president. 
So Tom Taylor, the writer of such books as All New Wolverine and Justice Gods Among Us and Justice League slash Power Rangers, has made an announcement that he is that he has canceled his appearance at Emerald City Comic Con and will not be doing any more shows in America this year. He explained in a statement, quote, Sadly, I won't be attending Emerald City Comic Con in Seattle this week. I have also turned down all other U.S. signing and convention invitations so far this year. I know I'm far from the only person concerned about traveling to the States at this time, but I wanted to explain my decision. I want to start by saying this decision was incredibly difficult. I was really looking forward to this trip. I have traveled to the U.S. regularly since 2009. This year, I have four different books with three different publishers and a TV series to promote. Beyond this, I have fans and colleagues I was looking forward to meeting. I also have many good friends in the States, and I was looking forward to catching up with them all. Truth be told, I'm missing them. But America, through no fault of most of its citizens, I like to think that's a, I like to think that's a low-key burn on the fact that he lost a popular vote, doesn't feel like a safe or welcoming travel destination at this moment. There have been reports of interrogation, phone data downloads, requests of social media accounts, returns, and five-year travel bans, and everyone from children to the elderly being detained. All of this has many people I've spoken to reconsidering or canceling their U.S. travel plans. I've had friends and people I work with suggest I leave my phone at home or delete my Twitter account for a month before I come. I refuse those terms. My Twitter account isn't complimentary towards the current administration, but it's far from inflammatory and shouldn't need to be scrutinized to gain entry to a country where free speech is so highly valued. He goes on like this for a few more paragraphs, just kind of saying that with America being the state that it's in, he doesn't feel like he should really go there. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I really can't blame anyone for feeling that way. Yeah, and this is all in the, and this is all shortly after um, another Australian writer, uh, Mem Fox, being detained. Going into the country. So, Yeah. America, you guys, it's in a way. That's going to do it for this week. Sorry about the half as long as usual show. I'm not. Thank you all for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode of the DestroProds.com comic book podcast. Maybe, we, maybe that one will be five hours until when Nico gets back. We don't know. In between now and then, though, we're going to be having our regular run news, baby reviews, podcasts, all kinds of bullshit, but until then, I'm dead. And I'm Birdie. We'll see you guys next time.